I'm Ben Myers, Associate Director of Communications and Marketing here at Albany Law School. On this edition of the podcast, we're dropping in on a presentation from our Sports and Entertainment Law Society, which is a student-led organization here on campus. And it's going to be a talk with sports agent Kevin Gold, who actually got his undergrad at SUNY Albany and has worked a lot with long snappers who are special teams guys. There's the center in special teams, if you're unfamiliar with football, on like field goals and punts. They kind of snap the ball almost like throat between their legs. So he's a sports agent, though, and that's what he's really here to talk about. He's worked on contracts for over 100 NFL players. This was recorded in early October. Before we get to it, though, a couple of reminders up here at the top of the show, as always. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and really anywhere on social media is where you can find the day-to-day happening with Albany Law School. AlbanyLaw.edu slash COVID-19. That's where we have all of our policies about on-campus and off-campus events. And then if you like this episode of the podcast, you want to hear more, make sure to check in on our SoundCloud account or subscribe on any of the major podcast services. This one's going to start about 10 minutes into Mr. Gold's talk, so you're going to miss a little bit of the beginning, but check the show notes for more biography information about him. Let's hand it over to the Sports and Entertainment Law Society. Long snapper to ever be drafted. Um, Spent about uh, 14, 15 years with the Chicago Bears, and uh, we call him, I call him affectionately, not the GOAT, he's the GLOAT. What does that mean? Well, he was the greatest long snapper of all time. So with Patrick, I helped create this award to recognize the best senior college long snappers. So that's where things stand now. Uh, number of active clients, uh, number of long snappers. I have a little fullback niche as well. But I want to take you back to kind of how I got there. Uh, so I mentioned I went to Albany. Again, at the time, it was a Division three program. Not much going on in the sports scene. When I came out of Albany, I knew that I wanted to represent athletes, but I really wasn't sure how to go about it. And I happened to be, when I graduated Albany, started working at a law firm in New York City as a paralegal. And when you do that, at least back at the time I did it, uh, you tend to work a lot of hours. So I was literally working seven days a week, all hours of the night. Uh, And they had this rule that if you work past eight o'clock, we would buy you dinner and we'd get your car service home. So a car would pick me up. Why am I going off on this tangent? Well, one night, working late, driving home in a car. What did you do back then? None of you guys were born, but there was WFAN was the biggest deal in town, right? Because we had this sports radio station where all they did for 24 hours was just 24-7 talk sports. Very common now, but back in the dinosaur age where I'm from, this was a new development. So sure enough, it's like 1130 at night. I'm sitting in the back of this car, driving from Manhattan to Forest Hills, Queens, where I had an apartment by myself. And sure enough, on WFAN, there's this guy, Steve Summers, who is this overnight host, and he has a sports agent that he's talking to. And it happened to be somebody who represented one of the New York Mets, which happens to be my team. And uh, I thought to myself, when I got back to my apartment, I'm like, you know what? It's it's midnight at that point. I'm going to call up and I'm going to ask a question to this agent. So sure enough, I keep dialing, dialing. Eventually, they connect me. So I'm connected. Kevin from Forest Hills is connected to this guy by the name of Steve Lynette, who was a big MLB agent at the time from California. And I said to Steve, look, just got out of college. I'm working as a paralegal in a law firm. I want to represent athletes. What's the best advice you could give me? 
Sure enough, he says, you need to go to law school. That's the best way to do it. Players are going to expect it. It's going to help give you another backup career if or when this doesn't work out. Uh, so I kind of took Steve Lynette's advice and uh, spent about a year working as a paralegal, and I applied to a whole bunch of law schools, including the one that you guys are all attending right now. <laughs> but uh, And I just went back. Uh, I have the letter in my filing cabinet. I applied to Albany Law, and I did pretty well at Albany, but I, I'm one of those I don't do well in standardized test people, so I didn't do well on that damn LSAT. I just looked at the letter. Albany Law School rejected me. The sentences in the letter are literally three sentences. It's like, we considered your application. Ha ha, sorry. Uh, that was basically it. So I keep that letter from 1989 from Albany Law School. No hard feelings though, but you guys rejected me. I literally got into one law school. So when I talk about rejection and overcoming obstacles, I got into one law school. Uh, and it's an interesting twist because I applied to something called Delaware Law School, uh, but they're like, we're not going to send you to Delaware Law School, but we have this brand new campus that we're opening in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And at the time, I, you know, I knew Three Mile Island, but I didn't know much about Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. But that's where I was going, because that was the only law school I got into. And no offense, I'm sure my life would have turned out great had I gotten into Albany or Hofstra or New York or Brooklyn or literally any of the other 15 law schools that I applied to, and they all rejected me. But Widener ended up being a good opportunity, because... Uh, Behind you, that's that's the law firm that I work at called Pillar Ott. Uh, one of the partners in my law firm, he's an entertainment lawyer named Todd Schill. I just happened to meet him at law school and we became best friends and worked together. My other best friend is a guy by the name of Jim Ivler, who works for one of the biggest NFL agencies in the country. They have well over 100 clients based in Manhattan called Sports Stars. So the fact that I, you know, this was the only law school I got into and uh, I kind of felt you know, the idea of being an agent and coming from Widener was virtually zero. I just happened to come into a situation where there was a guy who wanted to be an entertainment lawyer and a guy who wanted to be a sports lawyer. And ironically, Jim and I set up the same thing you guys are at now. We created the Sports and Entertainment Law Society. We brought in speakers. And we also happened to have a sports law professor on staff, which I had no idea. Again, because I didn't even really apply to this law school. They just kind of directed me there. They said, hey, there's this new law school we're, we're creating. So we're going to send you over there. So that was kind of my background. I came out of law school and I'm in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I had always intended to go back to New York, right? Cause I'm a New Yorker at heart, but got out of law school and uh, kind of started working in politics for a US congressman as, as like an uh, on-staff attorney, but wanted to pursue that sports passion. And so I'm in Pennsylvania and it's, Pennsylvania is a bit of a hotbed for high school and college football. So I started trying to make connections because although you guys can't tell, I'm five foot six. I never played football in my life. I can barely grip a football, but I knew that NFL players was probably the best way to get into business. And I'd spent some time, uh, I grew up a Ranger fan. So I spent some time working for a, an NHL agent who had some Rangers just to get some experience. But I knew the NFL was probably my best chance to really get a foothold uh, as being a sports agent. So out of law school, I started making as many connections as I can. And as Christian and I were talking, when some of you jumped on, there is a Division II school uh, near Harrisburg called Shippensburg University. Not very well known. Christian said that I got connected with their NFL pipeline. It's not really a pipeline. I, it's more like a pipe. But there are about two people from Shippensburg who have made the NFL, and I happen to be able to represent both. The first one, so my very first client was the guy by the name of Rob Davis. And so I had zero clients at the time. And somebody who I knew in Shippensburg said, hey, you should talk to Rob Davis. He's a long snap. 
so I couldn't, at the time, couldn't Google what a long snapper was. I knew a little bit about them, but not too much because NFL teams weren't having guys who just long snapped. So I went and met Rob, and it's, it's kind of a famous story. If you ever read any background about me or, or Rob, he'll tell you that I decided to take him out to lunch at a mall food court, which is absolutely true. Uh, there's something called the Harrisburg Mall around here. We went to a food court, and that's where we had our first official meeting because he was working at the prison next door to the food court, of course. And looking back in the NFL, he had a shot with the Jets. They come so I made my pitch. And what do you do when you have a grand total of zero clients? You pitch a guy by saying, hey, I'm going to devote all my time and attention to you. Because parentheses, I have nobody else to devote my time and attention to. So you're going to be my full focus. And, and somehow, you know, over Sbarro's Pizza, that deal worked. Rob fired his old agent. He hired me as his agent. And uh, in 1996, uh, he happened to make the Chicago Bears and made his NFL debut on Monday Night Football. And he happened to be a long snapper. And again, I didn't know much about long snappers. I assume everybody hopefully knows what a long snapper is. But if not, I will explain. Every NFL roster has basically 53 active guys. One of those guys, all their job is, is to snap the, snap the ball on field goals and extra points and on punts. So teams typically will not use their center to do that. Not the same guy who snaps to the quarterback. They'll use this specialized player who their sole job their sole function their sole reason for being on the team is because they can snap the ball back on a field goal an extra point the holder grabs it generally turns the ball about a quarter turn laces are out should know that and uh hopefully the kicker makes a successful kick the other thing they do is they snap on punts so it's third uh, it's fourth down team's punting 14 15 yards snap at about 0.68 seconds that's what the long snapper does he snaps blocks and he runs downfield that just happened to be what rob davis did better than about anybody at the time and that became kind of my niche what was interesting at least to me is that at the time teams weren't really using a dedicated roster spot to long for long snappers but right around that time that i was becoming an agent the late 90s that's when they started to focus on it and they said look this position is too important in the past they'd use like a tight end or an offensive lineman or a linebacker they said Look, games are decided by 1.2 point, three points. These snaps are so important that we're going to have a roster spot dedicated just to that spot. So out of that, I now had a client, Rob Davis, who ironically, and I'll finish his story, he ended up spending 13 years in the league, uh, played in the Super Bowl, uh, then went into the Packers front office. And uh, I don't know if I can say this to a largely New York office, uh, New York audience, but he is the assistant head coach of the Dallas Cowboys now. So it just so happens that the very first client that I stumble upon in, in literally a mall food court ends up having this tremendous career in this truly niche position, then goes on and has a successful career in a front office and is now back on the field as the assistant head coach for the Dallas Cowboys. So from there, uh, you have to remember this point in time, it's probably about when you were born in the, in the late, uh, you know, in the, in the late 90s, the internet was the biggest thing going, right? The internet had just been found and everyone was setting up websites. So I had, uh, if you saw Jerry Maguire, you know that Jerry Maguire, he doesn't quite look like me, but Jerry Maguire had one client and that was his big thing. Well, I was, I was Jerry Maguire in the sense that I also had one client. That's where all the similarities pretty much, pretty much end. But I had one client and he said to me one day, you know what? you know more about long snapping than helping from helping me that we should really set up an internet website because that's what they were called then, like internet websites. So we created this, I just happened to get longsnap.com. Somehow nobody had reserved that important domain name at the time. 
And I kind of created this website where I would cover snappers in college, snappers even in high school, and snappers in the NFL, because nobody was paying attention to these guys. If, if you looked at a media guide, if you looked at a depth chart, they would never, you would never know who a long snapper was on the team. So the point of this website was to kind of give attention to this kind of niche position that nobody cared about. And from there, ironically, the business grew. So Rob Davis was my first client. That led me to a second client who was a long snapper who snapped with the Colts, won a Super Bowl with the Colts, um, who also had a 10, 12-year career. Uh, and that's kind of how it happened. So, you know, that's, that's the good part. What I don't tell you before, Rob, is that I was kind of dabbling in other sports. I was trying to represent baseball players. I figured, okay, Major League Baseball, let's try Minor League Baseball, right? There's like 10,000 players in Minor League Baseball. The draft is 50 rounds. You know, I was dabbling in baseball players. And, and again, there were some good ball players from my area where I was in Harrisburg. So I actually had a kid who was drafted in the 13th round by the Phillies. So I figured, okay, hey, I've got the, and, and all I did was tell him, hey, look, I'll devote all my time and attention to you. Again, parentheses, because I have nobody else to devote my time and attention to. And it worked. And this kid was drafted by the Phillies in the 13th round, got a great signing bonus. So you're thinking, okay, things are pointing up. Well, the flip side, the failure part is that uh, he spent a year in the minor league. The Phillies were going to promote him, and uh, he happened to have gone to the University of Virginia where he got a chemical engineering degree. And uh, I called him to tell him, hey, look, the Phillies really like you. They're going to move you up to the next level, to double A. And he says, you know what? I decided to take a chemical engineering job at Dow Chemical. I don't want to ride a bus anymore. I don't want to pay my dues. And so, again, every time I thought I was having success, you, you kind of get knocked down a peg. I was also a hockey fan. So I was kind of dabbling with different hockey players. Uh, and I have a famous story. You can look up this kid's name by the name of Billy Tibbetts, who actually made the NHL towards the end of his career. Well, I was representing him very early in his career. As Again, I'm just trying to find a sport where I can get a niche. If you ever want to Google Billy Tibbetts, uh, he spent time in prison before he made the NHL. And this was after I was working with him. But even when I was working with him as a young kid, he was always getting himself into trouble, but a great hockey player, right? Great skills. He was kind of an enforcer. He would fight anybody, kind of a power forward type. Of course, when he went to prison for statutory rape, that's kind of where we lost touch. Uh, again, I didn't have any clients, but I do have some degree of standards. So a criminal conviction usually disqualifies you from, from being a client uh, with me. So I lost touch with Billy. So that was kind of, uh, again, finally had a talented hockey player. Unfortunately, he gets incarcerated. Needless to say, when he was in prison, what do you do when you're in prison? Well, many things, but one of the things you do is you lift weights all day long. So Billy worked out and he was in a prison, federal prison, I think in Boston, Massachusetts, worked out and uh, made a connection and ultimately played on the, the Rangers, the Flyers for Austin Bruins. Until again, he got arrested again and, and got himself out of the league. So the point is, you know, I was looking for a foothold anywhere, trying any sport, any angle. A anytime you thought you were going to have any degree of success, you kind of get knocked back down. So uh, eventually, again, that long snapping niche uh, paid off for me. If you were listening when I told my story about that agent on WFAN. So this is, I, I think this is an interesting story. About two years ago in April, it's the NFL draft. And most agents know that I focus on long snappers because who else in their right mind would be an agent who focuses on long snappers? So I get this cold email uh, from uh, an agent who says, hey, I am new to the football business and I have a long snapper from USC, University of Southern California. Can you give me some advice about where you think there'll be some opportunities? And I get those kind of emails from, from parents, from other snap, from people I don't represent, from other agents even will call me and ask me. Sure enough, I'm looking at the email. Well, guess who that email is from? 
it's from Steve Lynette. So the very same agent that I talked to, you know, 25 years ago when he was an MLB agent uh, on WFAN, he's calling me asking me for advice. So I gave him the advice. And then I said, by the way, you're not going to remember this, but uh, late one night in, uh, you know, 19, uh, whatever, 88, I called you when you were on WFAN and you're the one who told me to go to law school. So it's nice how you helped me, you know, back then and I can help you now. So kind of a neat little tie a little bow on that story about what motivated me to to kind of get into the sports business so again a lot of a lot of ups and downs a lot of trials and tribulations somehow you know uh, I've been able to do it one of the reasons is because I don't rely on my players to make a living right so the law firm logo you see behind me in addition to representing professional athletes I'm also a lawyer by day so just like you guys are all going to be I'm a labor and employment lawyer and I do intellectual property law so that's kind of what pays the bills. The sports is still important. It's still part of my practice, but you know, I kind of have the other aspects of, of the legal career to rely on with the sports being, uh, being a part of it. So the long snapping kind of became my niche. Uh, I had a couple of long snappers. And then one day, Shippensburg somehow gets another player by the name of John Coop. And for those who don't know, John was a very well-known Pro Bowl, Super Bowl winning Cold hero out in Green Bay. He was the fullback who, you know, used to score touchdowns from the one yard line or the two yard line, get that short distance yard. It's just typical things that a fullback does, including pissing off fantasy football fans who always had the Packers running back. Cause I used to get hate mail. Like I, I remember distinctly, there was one game where John, John played most of his career with the Packers, but spent a couple of years with the Saints. And uh, it happened to be one of the Jewish holidays. And John had three touchdowns for the Saints. And I got all these tweets and all this hate messages for the people who had Mark Ingram in their fantasy football league because they were blasting John Kuhn, my client, for scoring touchdowns, um, which kind of a separate discussion. But I'm not sure what John Kuhn is supposed to do other than do his job. And he did it very well that day and had three touchdowns. So that allowed what John did was that allowed me to go a little bit beyond my long snapping niche and kind of have, uh, you know, what my kids call a real football player. Right. Because. You know, it's fun to watch DirecTV and the NFL ticket and say, hey, that's my guy snapping the football, you know, when everyone else is going to the bathroom and, and doing something else. But to actually have a football player who got on the field, had some accolades, scored touchdowns, that was a nice development for my practice. So I kind of had this fullback, John Kuhn. And from there, I kind of set up this other niche of representing fullbacks. So uh, my oldest son graduated for the University of Wisconsin two years ago. My youngest son is currently a junior there, so I have to go visit him, of course, because that's what you do as a parent. Well, he goes to the University of Wisconsin, which also happens to be a fullback factory. So I kind of used my experiences with John, my experience with fullbacks to kind of add Wisconsin fullbacks. So I've represented a couple of their fullbacks, talking to one of their fullbacks uh, currently. So that kind of set up a, another niche. All to say, this is what's allowed me as a, as a guy who's just doing this by myself. You know, I have no assistant. Uh, there's no support staff. It's just me doing this. I've been able to stay in this business and have at least one client since, you know, 1995, 1996, just by being able to kind of string these little niches together and, and, and get lucky and, and get the right opportunities. So um, one thing I also want to mention, uh, I, I know a lot of people have this kind of misconception about how the agent world works and that, you know, I spend most of my time negotiating contracts and and we're sitting in rooms and the people are smoking cigars and they're yelling and screaming. The truth of the matter is the contract negotiations when you're an agent literally are about one to 2% of the job. So most of the job really is, is client maintenance, client development, helping them on the field, helping them or helping them off the field so they can be productive on the field. 
all that kind of stuff. The contract negotiation part, which again is what pays where the agents make their fees, that really is a small aspect of the job. In fact, to be honest, the way contract negotiations happen now is, is through this phone. I will literally get, sometimes it's not even a phone call. I'll get a text from a team saying, we're willing to offer this, or they'll send me an Excel spreadsheet explaining the contract structure. And that's pretty much, and you text them back or you email them back. And that's pretty much how contract negotiations go. So that's the most high profile part of the job, but it really is the smallest percentage. And a lot of it is just making sure your client's healthy. You know, I always say, somewhat jokingly, you know what the best ability in NFL is and, and playing professional football? The best ability is availability, meaning you're staying healthy and you're able to participate and play because it, it is hard enough to get a shot to get in the NFL. It's hard enough to stay there and it's even harder to stay healthy and, and stay there. So a lot of what you're doing is the agent is helping the player, taking care of that off the field stuff so they can perform on the field. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I have to be a certified contract advisor with the NFLPA. And if anyone has heard this story from me and I've motivated you and you say, yes, I want to be Kevin Goldlike and I want to represent NFL players, I want to give you a little bit of the reality of that. You have to be certified by the NFLPA. Uh, and when I did it back, you know, in, uh, in the mid 90s, it was pretty easy. It was a typewritten application. You paid a thousand dollars as long as you didn't, you know, murder somebody intentionally. They would certify you as an agent. There was no oversight. There was no extensive background checks. There was no nothing. It was just pay a fee. Now you're an agent. You go to a seminar. You're good to go. You can represent players. Well, because of the, there's been a lot of agent scandals and and different kind of controversies, the NFLPA has said, you know what, we're not just going to certify anybody anymore. We're going to do a background check and and no, you can't intentionally murder somebody anymore. Uh, but you also need to have an advanced degree. So all of you will hopefully come out of this law school with a JD. Uh, you can have an MBA, but a college degree is no longer enough is the point. So the NFL has said, you know what, if you're going to NFLPA says, if you're going to be representing our players, you need to have that advanced degree. And so you need to have that JD, you need to have that MBA. Uh, and of course, you know, there's fees involved, there's money involved in this business. So I want to talk just a little bit about the money aspect, and, th and then I can certainly take any questions that you guys have. But the money aspect, most people think it's like Hollywood, where an agent gets 10 to 20%. And that's true on the marketing side, right? So we were, when you're, if your player is fortunate enough to be doing advertising, commercials, social media promotions, yeah, the agent can take 10 to 20% of that. The truth of the matter is, on the contract side, is the most, the maximum you can take as an agent from a player's contract is 3%. And that may sound a lot, you know, if you're taking it out of, you know, Aaron Rodgers contract or one of the big high profile contracts, 3% of that number, that's a big number. You take it out of the minimum salary of a long snapper or a fullback, 3%, the minimum salary this year is $666,000, which is still, you know, better than what most entry level lawyer makes. But when you're taking 3% of that, it's only about $18,000, $19,000. So most agents, your goal is to not get that rookie client. Your goal is to get that rookie client, but get him to a second contract. Not long snappers, not fullbacks, but your other glamorous position players, your offensive linemen, D linemen, cornerbacks. You want to get to that second contract because 3% of that second contract, that's a big deal. Uh, so a lot of agents kind of operate at a loss in the beginning because you take 3% of the contract, which again, for a rookie is about $18,000. Well, guess what? To be an agent, I'm paying the NFLPA about three grand a year. So I pay $1,500 each year for an annual membership fee for which I get you know, access to their website. 
I have to buy malpractice insurance. So when you guys are all, and ladies are all lawyers, you're going to learn about this thing called malpractice insurance, which means if you screw up, you need to have insurance in case you screw up a legal matter. Well, even though I already have legal malpractice for my law firm, which fortunately I've never had to use, but the insurance is there. Well, they make you buy your own special agent malpractice. So that's another $1,500. Then let's say you want to represent players in Pennsylvania or New York or Wisconsin. Every state has their own registration process. So it's not enough to just say I'm registered with the NFLPA and they took my three grand every year. You need to register in every state in which you have a player. So again, if you want to represent a Wisconsin player, you got to fill out an application there and you got to pay them. You want to represent an Alabama player, which I would advise do not represent an Alabama player because their state is the worst, but you're paying them lots of money. Texas is also the worst. Stay out of Texas, stay out of Alabama. But if you want to go in those two states, again, that's more money out of your pocket. And what's happening lately now is, again, let's say I've motivated you. You want to be like Kevin Gold. You want to represent NFL players. You want to get a guy in the draft. Well, guess what? Uh, you're making 3% if they make it and they're successful and they make the 53 men roster and they're not hurt and nothing bad happens. Uh, but the reality of, of the matter is that, uh, you know, again, you have that 3%, but it's very difficult to get that player. And if you get a player, let's say you go to, you know, somebody at Notre Dame, you know, somebody at USC, you know, somebody at Penn state, you're going to help that player. What it, what is obligated of the agent now is that you pay for their training. So in the past, what would happen when I was young and the young agent had lots of hair and was doing this, the way it worked is the player would stay on campus and just work out at the campus facility, right? Because that's what they're used to. So you're Penn State, you stay on campus. You're Wisconsin, you stay on campus. You work out there, you get ready for the draft there. Now there's this whole industry of preparing for the draft. So you have to go to California, you have to go to Arizona or Florida and train for the draft. And that's an agent expense. So what happens now is that to train a player costs about twenty-five dollars to $30,000 all in because you're not just training the, you're not just having somebody train the player for three or four months. They have to get a house in Florida and Arizona. They have to get a car. They have to eat. They have to get insurance. They need Netflix. All those expenses are the agent's responsibility. So when you're doing the math, it doesn't work out very well. If you're taking 3%, and you have a rookie who's drafted in the sixth or seventh round or, or undrafted, which is what most fullbacks and long snappers are, you know, and you're making maybe 18, 19,000 if they make it. Well, you've already spent 25, 30 or more just to train him, let alone the recruiting business, right? Because you don't just call up a player and say, hey, I'm a really nice guy. Or I'm a really nice woman. I think I should represent you and you should be represented by me. You got to go out to the games and you got to go out and visit them and spend time. You have to slide in their DMs. You have to make friends with their wives and or girlfriends or both in some cases. And so there's all these additional expenses on top of it that make it very challenging. So, you know, I always like to kind of paint that realistic picture because people say, well, how, how have you been able to keep doing this, you know, representing just a handful of guys each year? And the truth is long snappers don't go to Arizona and California to train. They just go in their backyard to train, right? So you're saving on expenses. And with some of my other players, they're not as high profile, so you can find cheaper alternatives. But, you know, you want to represent a first, second, third round pick, you're easily spending $50,000 out of the, right out of the gate. Um, and you got to hope that that player makes it uh, because that money is not coming back to you or you're not getting that money back from the player. That's just the agent's expense. So you have all the state expenses and the registration fees, and then you have the training on top of it. So again, making 3% is nice and making 10 to 20% of the marketing is nice. You just have to understand the reality of the environment.
one other thing I want to mention, you guys may be aware of this. July 1st, all hell broke loose, right? Because if you remember, the NCAA used to have this concept called amateurism, right? So if you were a student athlete, you were student first, athlete second, in theory, right? And so anything that was inconsistent with the amateur model, you, you couldn't do. You couldn't pay a player to be in a commercial. You couldn't take a player to dinner uh, and pay for his dinner if you want to be their agent because that would destroy their amateur status. As, as you probably know, there were a lot of legal developments, uh, including states passing what are called name, image, and likeness laws, NIL. And, and to me, this is radically changing the entire agent business, and I'll explain why. But basically what happened is the NCAA said, well, we'll think about doing name, image, and likeness. We're not sure how we're going to do it because we want to preserve amateur status and blah, blah, blah. And they kind of sat on their hands. All these states started popping in, including California, I think was the first. And they said, you know what? We're going to regulate it. So we're going to allow any California athlete to profit off their name, image, and likeness. So you can do commercials, you can get paid for social media posts, you can get paid for camps, you can get paid for autographs, you can get paid for selling your equipment. These are things that up till Jan, uh, July 1st of this year, nobody could ever do. Well, that's now changed the entire landscape. And what happened was the NCAA basically said, well, <laughs> it's out of our hands now. So all you, you have all these various states who have passed name, image, and likeness laws. All these colleges and universities now have to allow their players to profit off their name, image, and likeness. How has it changed the agent business? Well, in the past, if I were talking to a player, that was literally all I could do with them until their eligibility was up. All you could do is talk to them. Hey, how was the game? Great job. You did this great. Very nice. What's going on? That's all you could do. And you're trying to develop a relationship. You're trying to develop trust. You're trying to convince, let this player know that you're the best person for the job. But that was, that was kind of hard to do because, again, you couldn't buy them anything. You really couldn't show them your work product. Well, now because of name, image, and likeness, agents are allowed, players are allowed to have agents, not, not for contract purposes, but business purposes. So now what you're seeing is that all of these top college football and basketball and even some of the women's sports like volleyball and gymnastics, they're all getting agents and they're all allowed to, allowed to profit now off their name, image, and likeness. The practical impact of that is that if you're an agent, you now have the ability to kind of show a player what you can do. Uh, where in the past you were just talking, hey, I could do this, I could do that, just talk to my client, he'll tell you I'm great. Well, now you can show them you're great. You're not just telling you're great, you can get them deals and it's allowed and it's permitted under the rules. So that's really dramatically kind of changed this agent business. Um, you're even seeing situations. So I mentioned Jim Ivler, he's a guy I went to law school with. He works for Sports Stars in New York. Sports Stars represents this kid from Texas, Quinn Evers, who skipped his senior year of high school. He didn't skip his senior year of college. He skipped his senior year of high school to turn a college athlete because he recognized, yeah, I could spend one more year doing Friday Night Lights in Texas and, you know, play well and be popular and, and go to homecoming, or I could go to Ohio State, enroll right now and make some cash. And that's what he did. And Sports, now is, Sports Stars now represents Quinn, I think his name's Quinn Evers, Quinn Evers in these off-field marketing. So players in high school are deciding to enter college early just to take advantage of these opportunities. So again, it's kind of created this whole new really industry within an industry where there are certain companies that have decided, you know what, we're just going to help on the name and image and likeness side. I'm not going to get involved in training for the draft and hoping you make it and hoping you stay healthy and hoping nothing bad happens to get my 3%. I'm going to start working with all these athletes now and getting maybe 10% of this and 10% and of that or 15% and, and kind of do those marketing and endorsement deals. So that's really that's really changed the landscape tremendously. I always get questions from people, well, if I don't want to be an agent, 
and I don't want to work on the team side, what's, what's another way to get involved? And to me, the name, image, and likeness and all the developments under that have really changed the, the game entirely. All right, I can stop, uh, I can stop talking. That's, I know that's a lot of stuff, but you know, I'm pretty old, so I've been doing this for a long time. I should also mention, for those who are interested, uh, I also do entertainment stuff as well. Uh, so that was another one of my passions. So I've worked on movies, reality TV shows, I've worked with a lot of bands from, from the 90s who your parents would probably appreciate, but you guys don't appreciate. So I did that entertainment part as well. I just wanted to talk about the sports today, but if, if people have questions or an interest on the entertainment side of things, whether it be film, movie, TV, music, I can, I can answer those questions as well as best I can. Um, I have a question. Have you yes. ever experienced like a stalemate in a negotiation with like a player and a team? Yeah, so uh, I, I have. Uh, and, and what I've learned in my years is that it's, it's all about leverage. Every situation is about leverage. And I'll give you two examples because one involves the University of Albany. I was negotiating a contract with a snapper with the Seattle Seahawks, and they were lowballing me. Uh, and John Schneider's the GM and pretty well-known guy, good talent evaluator. I wanted to get my guy was an unrestricted free agent, which means he could sign with anybody, but I had no other offer. So I was kind of negotiating with Seattle and Seattle only. And that was tough. Uh, this was in March uh, many years ago. And uh, I was on a trip to Albany to watch Albany play Stony Brook in the America East Championship. And if there's any Albany fans out there, that was the day that Peter Hooley hit that amazing three-point shot to send Albany to the tournament. Literally, while that game is on, all of a sudden, I'll name the team, all of a sudden the Chicago Bears contract guy who I happen to know pretty well starts texting me and starts making offers for my snapper just out of the blue he's like 250,000 I'm like what are you talking about I'm like I'm at a, a basketball game with my son what are you talking about he goes I want to sign your snapper what's the signing bonus because with the snapper they're they're only making a minimum salary but the signing bonus is a big deal and he's throwing numbers at me sure enough I go back to Seattle and I say look I was just at this incredible basketball game uh, which they don't care about but I just got an offer from the Chicago Bears. All of a sudden, Seattle comes around, and now the signing bonus gets bigger and bigger. And I actually concluded that deal, for those who know Albany, in the SEPQ parking lot is where I did that deal. So uh, interesting story there. The other one was John Kuhn. In 2011, the NFL had a lockout or a strike. I can't remember what it was. But he was an unrestricted free agent coming off an incredible year. So he had a lot of different teams that were negotiating with him. Uh, and the Packers are known as a team that kind of believes that they're entitled to a Packers discount. I mean, I don't even have to explain. All you have to do is look at the headlines over the last year, what's going on with Aaron Rodgers to know how the Packers approach players and contracts. So we're in a stalemate. I mean, John's at the top of the game for a fullback. There are a couple of teams that are interested. Uh, so we're kind of, we're at a stalemate and, and John's kind of nervous because this is a big chance. You're always looking to get that big second contract. Um, and uh, out of the blue, a team, and I'll, I'll name them because we all love them, uh, and it's been public, the New York Giants all of a sudden come out of the blue and start making offers for him, and then that changes the tune of the Packers. So that year, 2011, John actually signed a three-year, $7.5 million contract, which for, again, a kid who's represented long snappers all his life, that was a big payday. So what I've learned is, yeah, sometimes you get in stalemates, you, you better know the market, you better have leverage. And more importantly, you better tell the truth. There are agents out there who pretend or use the media. They'll go to Schechter or they'll go to 
you know, uh, some of the other guys and say, hey, my, you know, this team's interested in my guy. You better be telling the truth. Anytime I've talked to a team and I said this team is interested or that team is interested, you have to have your credibility because all it takes is one lie and you're done. But yeah, there have been stalemates. And what I find both in life and in contract negotiation, leverage is, is what you need. And leverage, meaning in this case, another team who is interested makes all the difference in the world. Otherwise, the teams are just going to they're going to lowball you and lowball you until somebody else comes out there and shows interest. Good question, though. Uh, I have a question. I'm not sure if you'd be able to answer it. Maybe you have like colleagues, but your experience is, you know, doing everything by yourself. So you, you <laughs> have like a unique view, but like, is there like a sought after route or like, is it good to do it by yourself? Do people like go into firms? Like, what have you heard? No, I, I, I am an idiot. Uh, you may think I'm smart, but uh, I am I'm an idiot. Going out on your own, like I, I looked at the list. I mean, obviously one of the more older, more senior agents, almost nobody does it on their own because, it, because it's almost impossible. I mean, maybe I can, cause I have these kind of niches, long snappers and Wisconsin pullbacks and it, and it works, but it is so hard because, you know, once you get more than a handful of clients, it's, it's hard to also be a lawyer and do all the other stuff and do this. Uh, and, and, and it's tough to be an expert in everything because I'm doing all the marketing for my players and reading all the contracts and reviewing all the business proposals they get. So it's hard. I mean, there are not many guys like me who are just individuals, solo boutique agents, um, because it, it really is, it's not the best way to do it. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of a, you know, a dinosaur in that sense. And it's not, it's not recommended. The problem was, again, when I came out doing it in, in, you know, in the late 90s, there was no Jerry Maguire, there was no internet, there were no books, there were no courses, there was no real guide how to do it. So I'm like, well, I'll figure it out on my own. And again, it, it gives me the ability to decide, hey, I, I don't have a boss and I can decide, hey, I want to recruit this player, I want to recruit that player, but it really isn't the best way. And if, if I were to recommend to somebody how to do it, get involved, get on the team side, you know, get involved with a big agency. You want to move on afterwards, after that, that makes sense, but you got to, you know, don't let me be a cautionary tale. I, I got lucky. Um, you know, that's not the really the way to do it. And it's a hard way to do it, especially just the money, right? So unless, if you're independently wealthy, which, you know, I wasn't. I grew up in upstate New York, in Poughkeepsie, New York. So, I, I, you know, I wasn't independently wealthy. Unless you have a big bankroll or famous friends, it, it's almost impossible to do it on your own because of the expenses, the cost to acquire a player. And I'm able to do it cheaply because I, you know, I'm dealing with low maintenance players who don't really care much about the glitz and glamour and they're not, you know, marquee guys and they don't have egos. But you're trying to recruit those caliber of players. You're spending a lot of money just to be there every week and be in front of them and impress them. And, and so it's just, it's really difficult to, to do it on your own. I'm fortunate. I'm lucky, but it, it's not the best way to do it. Um, I have a question. Uh, assuming yep. you do have an intact pipeline, um, how, where do you see the NFT market going in terms of, um, you know, names and likeness and especially with um, college to amateur athletes? I think it's going to be huge. I've, I've seen the NFL, NFT is finally getting involved on the college side, but I saw what it did in, in the NBA and NFL side. I think it's going to be huge in the college market. I've seen a few players jumping into it. Uh, I think it's, it's only going to grow. Uh, I, I'll be honest. I don't fully understand how this all works, but uh, you know, I know enough to know that this is something that is not going away. And because, you know, each NFT is its own unique proprietary entity, um, and, and, you know, I see college athletes are going to get by. I see that industry and that aspect of it re really growing. And if somebody wants to find a niche 
to me, that that's one of the better niches out there right now. Long snappers are taken. So NFTs for college athletes, that's a, that's a niche I'm willing to give up to somebody. <laughs> uh, I had a question quick, and I believe we've talked about it a little bit. I know bit. you. Yeah. Uh, oh, on, how are you? Good. <laughs> uh, have you had any, like, recent, uh, um, like, NI? Uh, kind of deals or anything that you can kind of touch on to kind of explain like what you kind of have to do for it? Sure. So we're, we're all friends here. So uh, I am working with two players currently in college and I will, I will name them because uh, it's not, it's not a secret. I'm working with two Wisconsin players. One is their fullback, John Chanel, and their other is their linebacker, Leo Chanel. Uh, John is a senior. He'll probably get in an NFL camp. Uh, Leo, however, is probably one of the best linebackers in the country, and I'm hoping that by helping them with this name, image, and likeness, that if Leo comes out of school, whether this year or next, that he'll remember who helped him. So I helped them with their name, image, and likeness, which I'm allowed to do. So I kind of had some relationships with both guys, and, I, and they both wanted to, to take advantage of this opportunity. So we're doing a couple of things. For those guys, guys and, and women who know Cameo, where they do the video shout-outs, well, both of those guys are now on Cameo. Uh, so they're able to make money from doing video shout outs, you know, wishing people good luck in their fantasy draft, happy birthday, enjoy your bar mitzvah, all those type of things. They're, they're now allowed to do those and sell videos just like the people from the office and all the other people who are on Cameo. So I hooked them up with that. Uh, last night, you'll see this tonight if you follow either, follow either of these guys on social media. Last night, I did the what I believe is the first ever NIL NIL deal with Texas Roadhouse. Uh, so both Chanel brothers are huge fans of Texas Roadhouse. Uh, you know, they're Northern Wisconsin kids. Uh, Texas Roadhouse to them is, is what uh, Capitol Grill is to most of us. So they wanted, I said, what restaurant would you like me to approach to see if they're interested in doing a deal? And Texas Roadhouse was their choice. So through a series, and this took me honestly about a month and a half, I managed to get them a name, image, and likeness deal with Texas Roadhouse, where they get free meals, they get gift cards, and they promote Texas Roadhouse on their Instagram and their Twitter handles. So those are some of the uh, examples of how athletes uh, can profit off their name, image, and likeness. So Cameo, uh, the way it works, no secret. Uh, you can buy a Cameo from either guy for 25 bucks, and they make $18. Texas Roadhouse, they get a free meal and they get gift cards, about 150 bucks each. So they can each go to Texas Roadhouse and they don't have to pay for it. Uh, John Chanel, the fullback, is, I just did a deal with him today with uh, Theragun, which is the machines that help you kind of uh, when you have sore muscles. Uh, so he gets free equipment from them in exchange for doing social media posts. So all those type of things are name, image, and likeness. My approach, though, with, with guys is my goal is to get them money in their pocket, but not spending a lot of time and effort doing it, right? So you got to eat. You got to go to Texas Roadhouse, apparently, according to them. So they're going to eat anyway. You might as well get them the meal for free. Cameo, all they have to do is pull out their phone. It takes them, you know, 50 seconds to do the video and it's done. So I'm trying to find opportunities where I can, one, show my skills, my ability, my talents to the Chanals so they, you know, remember me when they're they need an agent, uh, but I also want to get the money in their pocket with little effort uh, so they can make money, they can capitalize off it, but it doesn't take away from their on the field ability. And that's, that's the thing because you, you've seen a lot of deals out there, right? The quarterback from Clemson's doing a Dr. Pepper commercial. Uh, you have the guys in Miami hurricanes. They all did deals with gyms. You're seeing all these big deals, 
but a lot of them take away from playing football or folk or volleyball, whatever your sport is. So my goal is to get them deals where they can make money, but it's not necessarily taking a lot of their time and effort away from, from, from the season, if that makes sense. That answer the question. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a question. Um, throughout, yep. throughout the season with your clients, um, how much are you uh, like monitoring their play? Like as an agent, is it kind of nerve wracking, like watching your guy maybe on a prime time yeah. game or anything? And, how 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 is that experience? It's it's constant. I mean, I you know I'm I'm going through Twitter because I want to see if somebody's saying something bad about my guys. To be honest, so it's it's constant monitoring uh, because I know they're watching and I know their wives are watching because they're going to send me articles saying, "Can you believe they said this about my husband?" So you know you're constantly looking. And the unique thing about representing a snapper is that again, everyone else is going to the bathroom, they're getting a beer. I'm watching the guy make this snap, and you're just hoping nobody mentions his name, right? John Kuhn, I wanted to hear his name all the time, right? I wanted to hear him get that third and one conversion. I wanted to hear him get in at the goal line with a snapper. I don't want to hear my guy's name mentioned at all. So it's it's kind of a different process. And one of the stories I always like to mention, I have a snapper who spent, it wasn't Rob Davis, but I had the Packers snapper after Rob who spent 10 years in the league. His mom went to just about every single game, right? So home and away, Green Bay, Minnesota, Detroit, never watched him snap every time he was about to snap in a game she would stand up which is incredible to me so she went you know un- untold number of games including when he played at arkansas all the way to the nfl never actually watched him snap she was physically there but she could not take the stress the strain the anguish of watching him actually snap so it it is tough i mean i feel these are my kids out there because quite honestly at this point i'm old enough to be their dad <laughs> and uh it, it is it is your kid out there and you feel you have such a relationship with the people and with their family that you feel everything, whether it's good, whether it's bad. And I always say to people, it's easy to be an agent when everything's going great, right? You have a client, he's doing well, and he's signing a big contract. We could all do that. The harder part is being an agent when they're hurt, right? Or when the phone's not ringing or those NFL teams, those bastards aren't returning your call. That's when it's, it's, it's the, really the hard part. So yeah, I live and die with my guys. That is absolutely, um, and, and that's why I think I've been able to be successful because guys see that. There, there is no way anybody could say that I'm in this for the money, right? Because if I am, I'm, I'm representing the wrong damn players to be in it for the money. You wouldn't be representing snappers and fullbacks. I'd be doing left tackles and corners and, and defensive ends. So I think players see that uh, I truly have their best interests at heart. I'm always looking out f- for their best interests ahead of mine, which, as you guys all know, as attorneys, that's our, that's our obligation, right? To always put the client's interests ahead of your own personal interests. So, yeah, I, I live and breathe my guys i mean it's just it's just part of it and you know the whole recruiting process is tough as well because i don't get every player <laughs> i recruit and a couple of years ago for those who are raider fans you'll know that alec ingold is the fullback from wisconsin who's now with the raiders and many people regard him as the best fullback in the nfl which is great because i spent a long time becoming i thought bffs with alec ingold uh you know i slid in his dms and we started texting and we started kind of hanging out and talking to each other and I came in second and I didn't get him because he went with uh, a bigger agency that uh, Darius Rucker, Hootie from Hootie and the Blowfish, was one of the investors of. And he wanted a big agency. Uh, and that's the worst feeling in the world. There's nothing like, you know, I can try and explain it away and say, well, I'm not Hootie and I don't have a big agency. But, you know, ultimately, when a player turns you down, it's, it's the ultimate rejection. And, and the problem with the agent business is there's only one winner, right? It's a zero sum game. You're either the you're either the winner, you know, you're, there's, there's no second place. You're all just 
losers, unfortunately. So I still feel those things deeply. Um, anytime Alec Ingold, he was on Monday Night Football the other night, and you know, anytime he does something good, I'm happy for him. But my heart drops a little bit. So yeah, I, you feel this personally, and 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 you take the wins personally, you take the losses personally. So I'm bearing my soul here. So. Uh, I guess I just had a quick follow up to that. Do you still like do anything to help out or stay in contact with the people who are no longer in the league? That's a great question. So that's the other thing that I tell people when I'm recruiting them is that we're not just dating. <laughs> we're getting married. Uh, and what I mean by that is it's, it's a joke, but it's really the relationship I have among my players is not the three, four, five years they're in the league. It really is longer than that. And the best example is to take you back to the start. Rob Davis is my first client. I'm still, he's actually one of my best friends in the world. So we've stayed close because of that. And my view is my job isn't just those three, four years when you're making all that money. My job is to help you beyond that. John Kuhn and I talk probably even more now because now he's the Packers sideline reporter. He's got a daily radio show in Green Bay. He gets tons of media requests because him and Aaron Rodgers are friends and everyone wants to get his insight into what's going on in Aaron's head which is a separate topic but uh so yeah it's a constant relationship and and and, and in many of the cases like rob like john coon i almost have a, a stronger and deeper relationship after they're done after the playing field is done because that's when i can you know you be, almost become like a trusted advisor and you're part of their family and you're part of their decision making process and that's what i pitch to players again I, I think a lot of a lot of the bigger agents they just you know, they just deal with these relationships almost like it's a commodity type thing. So when the player is done or where the career is done or where their earnings power is gone and the agent can't make money, they're done. I don't view it that way. And I don't charge. I don't. I did Rob's contract with the Dallas Cowboys. He's their assistant head coach. I didn't charge him for that. I don't charge John Coon for any of the stuff I do for him now. Right. So they know I have their best interests at heart. So, again, I preach kind of that long term relationship, you know. My criticism would be, I think a lot of agents just kind of look at these transactionally where I kind of look at it long, big picture for, for the rest of your life. For better, for worse, you got me in your life. So you better make, you don't want me, you better tell me, be like Alec Ingold and tell me early you don't want me. Don't wait. <laughs> Dan, are you on? I think I'll talk a little bit about my intern. She may have been, uh, I thought she was on. Um, I always go back to, so I'll just talk about her briefly, just to explain how, again, the, the path from Albany to the NFL is a long one, as you see for me, but it's it's not as long as you think. So about, I go back to Albany. I am I, on, sorry. I, hey, Diana, how you doing? <laughs> Kevin. I, can I tell your story? Yes. <laughs> oh, all right, I have your permission or consent. So uh, I go back to Albany probably twice semester this is pre-covid before the pandemic uh used to always go back talk to their sports group business group talk to their sociology and sports group and uh i met diana probably five six years ago and uh she asked a couple of questions during the presentation then she came up to me and uh asked me this like 17 part question about deflate gate tom brady and i don't even know what the question was and i probably didn't answer it but she impressed me after that after meeting her because uh, one of the things she told me was she wants to be the first nfl gm uh, and that made me smile, actually. I'm sure a lot of people, when she tells that to somebody, they laugh at her. I, I took the opposite approach. I actually, that made me smile because I'm like, hey, I potentially have a kindred spirit here. So I reached out to her. She's probably going to claim she reached out to me. I reached out to her and I said, look, do you want to help me with your business? And again, this was six years ago. Diana was a freshman. I think her only sports experience, she had no sports, you had no sports experience. Is that fair to say? 
Yes. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. She worked at Carvel. And so what I remember from Met games, when you go to the Mets game and you get the little helmet, that's Carvel. So that was her sports experience up to that point. So I kind of helped her out along the way. So we got her connected with the Albany football team. Uh, she started helping me in my sports business practice. Uh, long story short, because I can make it pretty long, but I won't. Uh, she then got a job with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. She then got a job with Major League Baseball through the World Baseball Classic. She then got a job with the Washington football team. I won't say the Redskins. She got a job with the Washington football team. And now she's working in the G League and the NBA. So that's like four jobs in, what, five years? Uh, granted, I've pretty much only been at one or two law firms my entire career, but that's fine. <laughs> uh, so my point is Diana was a young UAlbany student, talented, bright. You would think that that path from UAlbany, especially as a woman, is long way to get to the NFL or the MLB or the NBA. Well, she's done all three in, in four years. So I wanted to give a special shout out to her. If any of you guys are motivated by her or her story, I'm sure she'll answer your questions as well. But I wanted to point her out. She's been a tremendous help to, to my business, to, to the Patrick Manley Award, and uh, just been a great resource for me and kind of lived vicariously through her successes. So there you go. I would not be where I am today without Kevin. Um, but like you said, I am willing to, to answer any questions if you guys have anything. So you got two speakers for the price of one. There you go. <laughs> and that price is zero. <laughs> uh, what, what, what's your current role at the NBA G League? So I'm actually a team logistics and operations manager for the Wizards G League team. Sounds impressive. <laughs> Depends who you ask. So, what was the what's the day to day of that? Like, yeah. So, um, the day to day really depends. Um, right now, we're not in season or anything, and our training camp doesn't start until next week. So, right now, we're just kind of getting everything underway in terms of booking flights and and uh, vac vaccination cards and getting visas in order and all that stuff. Um, but once the season starts, I'll be traveling with the team and I'll be point person for all of our trips, all of our away teams, um, really anything that has to do off the court is my responsibility. Um, yeah, that sums it up. I'll ask a question. So far, I know it's early in your NBA and G League career. What differences have you noticed between working for a football team or the NFL or even a college football team and the sport of basketball? So, it, you know, First things first, the, the roster size is so significantly, significantly different um, that it does change the, the scope of the job a little bit. So coming from a football team where training camp, you have 90 guys and then you cut down to your 56 and then your practice squad, whatever it might be, you always have so many things going on at once. Whereas a basketball team um, with less guys, you do have a little bit more free time. You do have a little more, you know, ability to have a life. Uh, and then the other big thing is really how regimented their schedules are. So in terms of football at the professional level, you're in the building really anywhere from 10 to 13 hours a day. And every second is scheduled. You meet again after practice, you have lunch, you have treatment, you have all of that kind of stuff. Whereas at basketball, you know, we have a court time from 10 to, to one, whatever that might be during the day and then it's your responsibility after that to make sure you're on top of staying on top of film and knowing who your opponent is and stuff like that so i, I 
it is a very big difference um, in terms of how the player is treated as well as how the week and day-to-day -day, uh, logistics are handled. It's super interesting. I just have a quick question for you, Diana. So that's a lot of very varied experiences, like from baseball, to the box <laughs> to the G League. Did you kind of have a plan in mind of, I'm going to get involvement in each of these sports and kind of get the inside track on each of these so that by the time, like, your end goal is complete? Or was it just kind of like connections from each that led to each opportunity? Or kind of how did that arise? Yeah, so um, I actually, as Kevin mentioned, I always, uh, up until probably this year, I wanted to be the first female GM of an NFL team. Um, so that was really my goal. I met Kevin and Kevin gave me an opportunity that really opened the door. Um, and I always thought I would be in football and only football, but my time with the Buccaneers, I was very grateful and it was a great organization and I absolutely loved it, but it was a seasonal gig. And I figured now is the time to find another job, whether it's in football, whether it's in sports, whatever it might be. Um, the goal was really only to stay in sports because you can always learn stuff from other teams and other organizations and other sports to bring back. And if I knew that if I wanted to be back in football, that there, it would be beneficial to be in other sports. So I did um, happen to get the job at the World Baseball Classic. I applied, didn't have any connections there. Um, and then the rest of my jobs actually came from cold emails. So whether that was LinkedIn or a phone call, um, my job with the Washington football team, I sent a cold email to their DFO at the time, their director of football operations. And I was at the combine, met him, uh, impressed him enough that when he needed somebody, the day of my LSAT, he actually called me up and offered me a job. Um, so it wasn't intentional to go from sport to sport. Um, I think it has helped me greatly to be able to have all these different um, experiences on my resume. Um, but I also know that not only do I want to do the sports around and be in sports, I do want to be a lawyer. Um, so for me, this gives me the opportunity to understand the different inner workings of different teams and then go to law school and when I, how I'm figuring that out. I should be in Apollo. I'm sorry, I'm not in Apollo, everyone. <laughs> That's what you do when you get to law school. You learn that. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else have any other uh, questions or anything sports entertainment fantasy football um i have a question can you just uh get a little bit more specific on like your most of your day-to-day -day activities for your uh like when you're dealing with clients um or like your uh when you're like doing your agent job uh just like i guess you can just walk through like from the beginning through the end or like what you, you do when you have a client and you sign the contract with them like more specifically yeah so let me let me talk about the recruiting I'll talk about recruiting an athlete because that's what I'm doing in, in the case of the two Wisconsin kids. So it's, it's developing a relationship. And, and I jokingly say I slide in their DM, but a lot of times that's how you contact players. When I, when I first started, the trick was to try and get their phone number. This was before cell phones, but now everybody's on social media. So what you do is you'll often reach out to them or you have a connection and just say, 
hey, I'm so-and-so, I've represented your fullback last year, or the, your existing client will make an introduction. And then you're just trying to develop a relationship with that player. Now, of course, with name, image, and likeness, you can, you can do more concrete things and you can get the marketing deals. But a lot of it is just talking to them. And, and meanwhile, you're talking to them, you're trying to explain what you can do, what value you add, but you're also doing stuff behind the scenes. So you're talking to scouts, you're talking to all-star games, you're trying to get this player you're trying to get them information. Hey, these scouts have said this about you, or I think I can get you into the senior bowl or help get you into these different bowl games. And then it's about, hey, if you want to, you can train at this facility, or you can go to JJ Watt's facility here, or you can do all these kind of things. So you're just trying to, when you're trying to represent the player, you're trying to develop that relationship, prove your value, get them feedback, help them get ready, or help them to pick a training facility, helping them with all-star games, helping coordinate visits with NFL teams. Then, you know, you have the draft, hopefully they're drafted. If not, they're signed right after the draft. And then you're just continuing to, to help them out. So they're going to a new city. Hopefully they're making the team. They need to find living arrangements. They need help with vehicles. They need all that kind of stuff. So that's why I mentioned when I say the contract is 1% of the job, you know, that really is 1% of the job. I had, uh, you know, the Wisconsin fullback, I represented their fullback from last year, Mason Stocky, in this year's draft. He didn't get drafted, but he signed with the Carolina Panthers, and that happened with a tech. The GM uh, from the Panthers said, I will give you this to sign him. I said, we will take this, <laughs> you know, which was a little more than what they offered. And then it was done. So the contract, again, is that small piece. Everything else is, is the other stuff. So, you know, there's not a ton of work like during the season. Usually you're just checking in with the player. If they're injured, you're helping them navigate that injury situation. Do they need to get a second opinion? You know, what's going on with their health, making sure they're ready to perform on the field. A lot of times just checking in. A lot of times checking in with their family or their family issues and you're just kind of using your lawyer hat to, to help out their brother help out their sister through some different legal troubles that type of thing so uh it helps uh, to be me in the sense that i have low maintenance clients right there it's almost impossible to be a long snapper and be high maintenance it's just and and and, and similarly it's almost impossible to be a fullback and, and high maintenance and that's where i think i have where i'm able to be successful because i'm not a you know high maintenance High profile guys aren't going to be attracted to what I offer. But if you're if you're a good person, you're a good person on the field, you're a good person off the field with a strong family, with a good network, then I'm going to appeal to you, but you're not getting into trouble. And occasionally I've had a player, you know, when the phone rings at two in the morning, it, it's never anything good. And I've had that before. But generally speaking, during the season, it's just kind of making sure your client's OK. He's ready to go. There's no issues. You take care of whatever you can off the field so they can perform you know, at their best on the field. Kevin, can I just chime in quickly? Of course. So um, he, Kevin did mention that the, the contract is actually 1% of the job. And um, I know there was a question before in terms of being at a stalemate with a team. So just so everyone understands from a team standpoint, I was in the contract side of it um, at Washington Football. And from our perspective, there's not a lot of negotiation that go actually goes on in terms of the contracts. The only contracts that really get negotiated are those big deals like Aaron Rodgers, uh, Matt Stafford, those trades, whether that be a signing bonus or incentives, whatever. those are really your dime a dozen contracts and you have them maybe once or twice every off season. From a team standpoint, there is a set um, signing bonus. There's a set uh formula when you draft a guy based on their draft round or if they're undrafted based on where what position they are and how the rest of the market is that you actually that's what they get so from a contract standpoint and from a, an agent standpoint you know and this is something I wish I had known earlier um, if you're looking to get into the agent side because you love negotiating and because you love 
the contracts and you love that side of it, you aren't necessarily going to be negotiating a contract every single time you have a client. A lot of the times the terms are already set and it's just a matter of signing a dotted line. Yeah, that's a good point because out in the recruiting wars, a lot of agents are gonna say that they get the best deals and they're better negotiators than anybody else. Diana's insight is, is good and it's accurate because she did it. She knows that the truth of the matter is, yeah, maybe get a little bit more here or there just by being the, the tough negotiator, but teams have in mind what they're going to pay. Again, leverage can change that. So when they know that, you know, Team X out there is offering you, maybe that changes their analysis a little bit. But they know what they're doing. They know how much they're going to spend and how much of a salary cap they're going to allocate to that position. So, you know, if you think you're going to use your legal skills with contract drafting, the NFL contract, it's called the standard player contract, SPC for a reason, because it's standard and it's a player contract. And the only thing you're really filling in is the base salary and maybe some bonus addendums, which at the, again, at the high level, there's a lot of strings attached to it, but you're negotiating undrafted free agent contracts. He's getting minimum salaries for four years and he's getting a signing bonus and, you know, everything you learned in contracts, offer, acceptance, consideration, that stuff means absolutely nothing. So none of that stuff really comes into play. It does come into play and those legal skills do come into play in other areas. Like, you know, today I reviewed uh, an endorsement contract for John Chenal to, to do this uh, Farragun thing. So that's where you can use your skills a little bit because, you know, it's whatever you want to negotiate back and forth. And that's where having that background legal knowledge really helps, but it, it doesn't really help you on the NFL side at all, unfortunately.